evening, everybody. It's a beautiful sunny day over here in Tiburon, and uh, there are hordes of people here in the room. It's very thrilling. Recording in progress. Recording stopped. Recording in progress. Mm-hmm. So, uh, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, where, whatever it is where you are. And this is our final seminar on Dogen and the environment. And I have nothing new to add at all uh, to what has already been said. So I'm going to say very little tonight. I just want to uh, say a few words of summing up, uh, read a few things for you, more earth poetry or not earth poetry. And then I thought we would close with a ritual that's what these sheets that Neil's been passing out are for, uh, for us to chant as a ritual to close our month. And after we do all that, I think there should be plenty of time left for groups and discussion. So in other words, we'll do all that first, and then, and then we'll have uh, small groups, and then whatever time we have remaining, we can have discussion. I forget, but I think it was uh, Ty and Beth and Bruce King's idea that we uh, have this seminar taking up the question of the environment and how it relates to our practice. And I, and I thank you guys for, you were really passionate about wanting to do this. But when I first uh, received the idea <clears throat> I thought, well, I don't really want to do another seminar on the environment in which we repeat all the things that everybody always says about climate change, all the, all the science and all the disastrous effects, and the frustration about how slowly it's going, the sense of urgency and fear that we all feel, rage at the stupid politics that you know, won't do anything when we have to do so many things so quickly, and maybe also, as we often do, feeling our own guilt and frustration and fear and justifying those feelings on the theory that unless we are upset and horrified and even freaked out about climate change, we are not serious enough about it. That's all the usual conversation, which, when you think about it, assumes a kind of technological, rational, and human-centered approach to life, which is our life the life that we're all living. So I didn't want to do that. We, we all have all done that enough. I wanted to find a way of looking at all this differently, to consider the spiritual dimensions of climate change, and to emphasize, rather than our fear for the Earth, our love for the Earth, and our confidence in the earth 
as our mother and our confidence in the future, no matter what it brings. And I wanted us to all remember that our practice, especially Zazen, has always been about expanding our sense of self to include everything and everyone. And so really and truly to do our practice is a, is a necessary part of what it's going to take for us to go forward, to make headway with climate change. And that insofar as we do feel anguish and grief, and we do, that we can practice repentance and atonement by facing those very feelings and thereby transforming them from simply a whole bunch of bad feelings we don't know what to do with into a path forward. So that's what I was trying to do and I'm hoping that we could do during this month of considering climate change. And I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, that's maybe we'll talk about that. But uh, I have felt in myself uh, inspired in, in that way. And I hope you have too. There's lots of uncertainty ahead, as we've, we've said in one of our talks. Nobody knows exactly what happens in what way. And we're all going to endure a lot and pay attention to a lot and, and everyone doing what we realistically can from the position that we're in. But it seems to me that having a good feeling about this and a good view of this and a good understanding of this from all dimensions is in itself a powerful factor. And simply to have that feeling and share it with others is a very important thing to do. And I hope that you feel that way too. That's all I have to say. I want to read uh, from uh, a book of, of a friend of mine, Joseph Lees. This is a book that's coming out soon. It's called Fire Season. It's not out yet, but it'll be coming out soon from uh, one of my publishers, Chax Press. It'll be available on Amazon and small press distribution. Joseph has always written about the environment and about the human feeling of anguish at what we are doing. And uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant, rather amazing poet. Um, so careful. And he writes uh, very few words. Uh, his pages usually have just a few words, sometimes three, four words to a page. So his books have hundreds of pages, but it takes about 15 minutes to read them. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to read you uh, from part four of Fire Season. I'll read the last, part four, five, and six of Fire Season. Part four. Now what? And the snow fell, and the passing clouds, and the windows and doors, and the snow fell, and we answered, Oh, what can you, what are you? Something was happening, night fell and broke in a million pieces, the soft wind, 
the soft air night fell and broke. And the world fell. I walked in the trees, in the shadows of the trees. The world flew, the world flew away like light. That was part four. Part five, everything merges with the night. It's a dream at the end of the mountain, the sun, the world is burning. I don't care what I know, I feel so sick. The Puritan Diaries, American self. Maybe I'm a liar, half joke, half damage, rain pouring down, the big branches move, the secrets in the gutters, the dream death, the corpse gives commands, we stay inside our city, cold city. Cold night, a picture of a thought, a garden, skyscrapers, empty tombs, soul of bullets, I was exploding. Everything's corpse light, my mother won't speak. I tried to be joy, walking home, cold night, red, frozen sky. Spin the night, will we kill the world? The sky is fire, shed your skin. Did we kill the world, will we kill the world, look, green water? Part six, cracked actor. The soul was a spy, the soul was a forest, the soul was a shipwreck, the soul was a mouth. Does God love me? The new warning is fire in your face, system collapse. I thought I had a future, I, I want joy. I taste poison, I am the ghost of I, etc. I was a fool, I had a plan, and water was my dirty name. I'm writing inside death, I'm in the room. In the sweet exhale of July, where dead zones pock the mind, just west of the end of the world, where the local lost boy nailed dogs to the wall of his shack, where the headless ghost dogs run through the waste, and walls of flame, and walls of flame. You spin the spin, you go insane, you eat the light, you eat the pain. Fire, tsunami, birds on fire. Just breathe night, breathe night forever. Just say, drop your eyes right here, quick. Learn to die. The animals are dead, are dying. Mom, you read the books to me, and I tried. My legs are trembling, my hands are trembling. Believe me, don't believe me, I don't care. I was the future, says the nothing man. I was the future for a day or two. So that's really great stuff. 
uh, I, it's hard to, when you see it on the page, he uses parentheses all the time without closing them. So there are one, there'll be lots of those words are in parentheses without a closed parenthesis. The next thing I have to read, and uh, I'm going to ask some of you to read, I know at least two of you, John and Shufi, have things to read. But uh, I'm going to read these because this just came out. Uh, actually, an old friend of ours puts this magazine out, New American Writing. It's a very um, venerable poetry magazine that's been around for a long time. Paul Hoover is now the editor of it. He used to do it with his former wife, Maxine. Um, and there's a couple of my poems in here and another poem by a friend I want to read for you, too. A personal poem. It's not this poem one wants. One wants. It's not this poem one wants. One wants another, another mind in another time, another world enough to wonder. I'm pushing a stone around in circles or a circle or it's not moving. I'm not pushing. Am pushed. The circle makes a circle in a quiet body of water on another day I can now think of and care for. All the people I saw I loved, somehow I am sure, and why or how would I not, if to see is already a form of affection or a distinct name for affection in a world of names. They are not interchangeable. One's not another, nor myself, nor anyone else only came and made me less than we, us, a personal, plural, singular poem that's here if I am and they are and we talk it through together. Silent poem. <clears throat> Look into the eyes, please, of the indelicate gentleman whose lines run flush margin left leaving most of the page blank, 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 and blank. Look to that part of the page for sought-after meanings, meanings that could be what the silent poem wishes to say, wishes to add to the general malaise in fictive burnt world in hot, fierce wind, as if to say God's human shape is bent with uncontrolled fury while the people stroll and croon and play bassoon, go here, go there upon deserted beaches. Nevertheless, the silent poem gambles all it has on a few ragged words, a few dazed words, little plain words, slowly unspooling, hoping its ship comes in. And, and this is a, a poem uh, by uh, another friend, Cole Swenson, who lives here in the county sometimes when she doesn't live in Paris and she doesn't teach poetry at the Iowa Writers Workshop where she taught for many years. Egret, and this is in uh, prose, Egret. The egret regretful, or is it the grateful? Or can it be both in a conflict of grace? Or, or is it 
The egret, regretful, well, that's what you get for. And then she stops to think. Get for what? And what is it, is it exactly to get? Or perhaps the egret, disdainful, sharpens her beak against the stone, graceful. And as she does so, she takes particular note of the particular grace of the stone itself and thinks, hmm, now there's an idea. For an egret is so closely, for, sorry, for an egret is so clearly an excess of poise and precision. I'm watching an egret on the other side of the lake, its slanted body creating an acute angle with its reflection, which, ma which makes you think of a pair of scissors. And how neatly the plane of the lake could be cut down the middle and folded back to reveal the perfect inverse of everything reflected on its surface. Isn't that wonderful? And then one last thing. Uh, Meryl. Colette, who is here with us online, I think, someplace, an old friend uh, from Berkeley Zen Center days and San Francisco Zen Center days, and now living peacefully and happily in Tucson, Arizona, sent me this poem of Rilke, which is a fantastic poem, and I think we, uh, Laura linked it uh, online. Ah. <laughs> I thought we were going to have music for this. It was a perfect music for this Rilke poem. Too bad. Uh, the poem is called Serving Earth. Thanks to Merrill for sending this. And you can't believe, you know, Rilke died in the 20s, didn't he? So, you know, long before anybody had any idea that, that there would be these kinds of problems. And yet, listen to this poem. You think it was written yesterday. It's kind of a prayer. All will come, serving earth is the title, serving earth. All will come again into its strength. The fields undivided, the waters undammed, the trees towering and the walls built low. And in the valleys, people as strong and varied as the land. And no churches where God is imprisoned and lamented like a trapped and wounded animal. The houses welcoming all who knock, and a sense of boundless offering in all relations, and in you and me. No yearning for an afterlife, no looking beyond, no belittling of death, but only longing for what belongs to us, and serving earth, lest we remain unused. I'll read that one again, and then, and then we'll hear from John and Shuffy and see if there's anybody else. Serving earth, all will come again into its strength. The fields undivided, the waters undammed, the trees towering and the, and the walls built low. And in the valleys, people as strong and varied as the land, and no churches where God is imprisoned and lamented like a trapped and wounded animal the houses welcoming all who knock, and a sense of boundless offering in all relations and in you 
and me. No yearning for an afterlife, no looking beyond, no belittling of death, but only longing for what belongs to us and serving earth, lest we remain unused. So you ready for your ode, John? Uh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ode to our earth. Where do you leave off and I begin? Where do we differ? How am I something other than you? Is it possible that I am but a conscious expression of you? Am I your voice? We are one as the trees and the waters, as the mountains and the streams. Your harm is my harm. My life is your life. So bound together, I shall try to protect you from myself, from others' actions, and embrace our bodhisattva vow to do no harm. My carbon footprint is your degrading atmosphere. My plastic usage is your wasteland. My water abuse, your droughts. Our cushion teaches us what the mind cannot. I feel you, I sense you, I know you deeply in my bones, in my being. We are connected through space and time, and in the soft, soft touch of Buddha's finger as he reached out to you in awakening. Your multitude of beings, of which I am but one, are your living body, all of us expressions of you. Effort without desire, clear water all the way to the bottom. A fish swims like a fish. Vast skies transparent throughout. A bird flies like a bird. I am that fish. I am that bird. I am you. Wonderful. That's great. Thank you, John. Thank you. Beautiful. Shufi, you, you want to read something? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. Yes. Sorry, I'm getting all these messages as host. Oh. No. Normally, I like to be invisible during a seminar or pretend that I am, but you're also inspiring. So I'm uh, going to read this. I don't know if it's a poem, but it is an ode. I've begun bowing to my trash. I throw something away and smallen myself before it, the paper bill, the stem, 
I've become greatly moved by the molded bit of plastic that binds the pill cap to its trunk. I remove it by its perforation, and it is all form and no purpose. It is I who created this purpose, and I who remove it. And I myself am trash. How many times a day am I simply shedding, discarding myself from myself? I move from the garbage to the toilet, to the bath, pairing, withdrawing, detaching. Where does it all go, all this pile of me? I want it back, want to see its mass, to hurl myself into its horror, listen to its haunting. Sea of my tears, mountain of my living. We live and the things scatter outwardly, or we die and the things are left. Things with their reminders and brokenness and lostness and uselessness. Who will tend the smashed pot, the thread tangled zipper, the fortune drawn from its cookie? Who can speak of the life world of plastic? There, do you see? a wrapper entangled in leaves, a balloon pierced by the walnut tree left hanging on the threshold between earth and cloud, storm folded and stretched, flaccid and cheering no one. Once the balloon made everyone happy, now it is ruining the tree. Dear balloon, not even needing our parties, but always needing us. Balloon, shape of our breath and desire. When the party is finished, the balloon belongs nowhere. Have you known the delight of being breathed by a person, balloon? A person, so here, so great. What were you before you became our Adam, appearance of our joy? Still, one day, a wind will come, the trees will crack, and we will sink, all things bowing, all things earth, all things happen, all things hang, tree wind, trash wind, breath wind, joy wind, time wind, wind of persons, wind of fortune, wind of tears, wind of wind, and where the balloon flies then, one can only imagine. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Do you know that Shafi is a beautiful writer and her, what's the name of your memoir again? What's the name of it? My Morningless Mornings. Yeah, My Morningless Mornings. It's a terrific book if you haven't read it, My Morningless Mornings. Shafi's a be beautiful writer. Thank you, that was great. Well, hard act to follow, but is, are there one or two more? They don't have to be. There's Laura. Oh, good. Laura will read one. You have to unmute yourself. Can you, can you, uh, uh, Shofi, can you un make sure that Laura can unmute herself? Yeah, she should be able to. There she is. There okay, you there you go. There we go. Uh, yeah, I have a short, um, very indirect ode to old growth trees. 
And I also have um, something that was sent to Shafi to play, a po beautiful poem by Terry Tempest Williams. Oh, yes, you told me about that, yeah. So this, um, those old growth trees. Stopping on the forest path, I leaned into a Douglas fir, 200 feet too tall for me and my embrace, as if I were a tiny metal figurine on the white felt ski slope skirt my mother placed around the base of our Christmas tree and decorated every year with snow scenes when I was a child. I wasn't a child anymore then, not really, but I was still my mother's child and she was with me there on that forest path. How many forest paths we took that summer and the summer after that and the summer, come to think of it, before that, through patches and pockets of old growth groves, cross-hatching the Pacific Northwest. Our guide, a slim green paperback, I picked up somewhere. Hiking the ancient forests of Washington and Oregon, we drove her white Jeep Cherokee, searching them out. I wasn't a child anymore, but I was still my mother's child, and we were both children in the span of time, their exhalations breathed to us, those old growth trees. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, now, Shafi, could you play the um, Harry Tempest Williams that I sent? Yes. Oh, this was... Uh, from September of 2020, it aired on um, the podcast from the New York Times, The Daily. I don't have any sound. No, we can't hear anything either. So you were not hearing the sound? No. Okay. It, it is on the website, right? So let's, let's not tinker with it. Let's, uh, people can hear it on the website. Any, anybody? Yeah, that's, it happens. Anybody else here in the room or online? Okay, maybe later. Let's... Uh, Let's go Did on. Oh. Bruce Thornton had his hand raised. What? I'm, I didn't hear that. Bruce Thornton. Oh, Bruce, did you want to read something? Yeah, you're on mute. Yeah, go ahead and unmute yourself. Yeah. There you uh, go. Three lines from William Wordsworth from uh, in the epilogue. Uh, Karen Armstrong's beautiful book on sacred nature, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I, I, I like Go to Buddhism and love the earth. Here's, here's the three lines. Uh, with an eye made quiet by the power of harmony and the deep power of joy, we see into the life of things. Mm. Beautiful, yeah.
Thank you. Well, I thought we, we could uh, end our seminar by chanting a little bit. And I thought tonight we could chant. Uh, yes? I'd like to say a poem. Oh, okay. 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 Naomi's got a poem. Yeah. Walking in the woods. That's when I saw the old maple. A couple of its huge limbs cracked. One limb reclining into earth. Food for a million delighted insects. <clears throat> the tree not really dying, living less widely, green head high above the other leaf-covered Wonderful. Grace Paley. Grace Paley, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Some, somebody else? China. think so. Okay, I think I have to stand up because he was so tall. Thank you, Corey. It's great to have Corey back a little bit. Yeah. Pardon? It's great to have Corey visit a little bit. Yeah. Yes, yes, he's very good. Yes, yes. If you can tell. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Betty's hand is raised here. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Betty. Hi. Hi. This poem is called Eagle Creek, Oregon. I walk out the door, leaving myself behind, barefoot, 
the velvet green moss, a barely perceptible crunch, cool, moist air, held by towering pines, allowing ease and safety. Leaning against the strong, straight trunk of the fir, transferring sensations back and forth, effortlessly growing taller and taller, coming closer to the red-breasted nuthatch, singing high in the cedar, walking on, a hanging vine becomes my swing, weightlessly flying to and fro and to and fro. We laugh together, filling the space with joy, slowly coming to almost stillness, stepping down, giddy with unbalance, wobbling, the earth finds me, no need to hold on, side to side, side to side, coming to center. Now, growing deeper, down, 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 burrowing into the cool, damp moss. 10,000 suns, our blanket. Thank you. We've got a few more people here, Ruth and Bruce and Michael. Hi, um, I wrote this in spring um, and I work at a farm and uh, most of you probably know what early girls are. They're kind of tomato. So this is my ode to my beautiful bountiful early girls. Mm-hmm. Having sprouted from an ever so tiny seed into a seedling and then transplanted not once but twice into ever larger containers snug as a bug in a greenhouse dorm of tomato peers and then when just on the verge of being planted but not quite ready, you were set aside outside to be hardened a bit before entering the wilds of the garden where you are now safely in the sod in row 18 to be exact. (laughs) There I shall tend you with love and delight, a parent of sorts for the next trimester witnessing your sprightly yellow flowers magically meld into tiny green orbs that will, under the sun's golden gaze, grow, swell, and redden into sweet silken beauties that will in the end be plucked from the vine and deliciously devoured. Mm 
<laughs> it makes me hungry for tomatoes. <laughs> Do you have any? <laughs> okay, I guess Bruce and Michael. This is uh, something from the Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai. I'm not sure I pronounced that correctly. Now when the waters are pressing mightily on the walls of the dams, now when the white storks returning are transformed in the middle of the firmament into fleets of jet planes, we will feel again how strong are the ribs and how vigorous is the warm air in the lungs and how much daring is needed to love on the exposed plain when the great dangers are arched above and how much love is required to fill all the empty vessels and the watches that stop telling time and how much breath, a whirlwind of breath to sing the small song of spring. This is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a poem called Lost by David Wagoner. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. A forest breathes, listen. It answers, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Mm. Wonderful poem, yeah. Thank you. Mm. Well, uh, let's conclude with uh, at least this part, with chanting these two texts. Uh, in Dogen, uh, the, the Dogen on the environment, the Taigen uh, Leighton article that was part of our seminar this month, he mentions both of these texts, Jiju Yuzamai and Ehe Kotso Hotsuganman. The first one is about Zazen as an environmental practice, a practice of union with the earth and all physical reality, all of time and space. So that's the first one. And that was the subject of my Dharma talk on Saturday, so I won't say anything more about it. Uh, both of uh, the words of, uh, there are some words uh, in both of these texts that are, that are appear in valley streams, valley sounds, mountain colors. But somehow these are uh, expanded from that. These are other, other, not the same text. 
about a word, a short word about Ehe Koso Hatsugonman. And you do have both of those, right? Or only one? Yeah, both of them. Okay. Um, yeah, there may not be there may not be enough copies for everybody. I, we we were shocked at how many people are here, so we didn't may not probably don't have enough copies. If you don't have a copy, that's okay. You can listen, or you can look on with someone else. Anyway, about the Hotsugonman, uh, uh, we've been talking. One of our themes this month has been the practice of repentance and confession, which in a word is recognizing our shortcomings realistically and honestly, vowing to overcome them, but recognizing, you know, our true limitations. We, we, we vow to overcome them, we intend to, we may not be able to. I mean, we all have really good reasons for failing to be all that we could be or failing to do all that we could do. And there is no one to blame for that. So instead of blaming ourselves, as we generally do, or going on feeling badly about our failures, we practice repentance by humbly recognizing the shortcomings, sincerely vowing to do better. And here's the key part. <clears throat> instead of thinking that it's up to us to do that, we call on the Buddhas for help. We call on the space and the world for help. Now that doesn't mean that we are therefore absolved from doing our best, but it does mean that we don't have to do what we do alone. And there's a kind of trusting that we will be helped. And as the text notes, Buddhas were once like us, and one day we will be like them. So knowing that and, and, and chanting that gives us strength and courage. So I'm going to, I'll read it just once for you and then we'll chant both texts together. We vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma, that upon hearing it no doubt will arise in us nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. Although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May they share with us their compassion, which fills the boundless universe with the virtue of their enlightenment, and teachings. Buddhas and ancestors of old were as we, we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. Because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit, we are able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. Therefore, the Chan master Lungya said, those who in past lives were not enlightened will now be enlightened. In this life, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. Enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions, as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. 
Confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. By revealing and discussing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. This is the pure and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. So I think um, the way we'll do this is um, I can just uh, introduce uh, each text and then we'll chant it. I think once is enough, don't you think? They're kind of longish. So we'll chant the Jijuyu Zamai and then, and then I'll introduce and then we'll chant, and the same with the other one. And then at the end of all the chanting, uh, Jean has written uh, a dedication uh, for our chanting and for our seminar. And she uh, will, she's online, but she can chant her dedication. And then she'll go into also offering merit for our friends who are who have passed recently or who are ill, and so she'll do that too. And then when all that's complete, we'll see how much time we have left, and then we'll, then we'll have groups. So a little bit different order than usual, but okay? So let's do that, and, and uh, I hope, uh, if, you, if you don't have a copy or you don't actually need to chant, you, sometimes it's better to listen to the words. But if you do have a copy, you can chant or look on with someone else. Jiju yu zama Now all ancestors and all Buddhas who uphold Buddha Dharma have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright practicing in the midst of self-fulfilling samadhi. Those who attained enlightenment in India and China follow this way. It was done so because teachers and disciples personally transmitted this excellent method as the essence of the teaching. In the authentic tradition of our teaching, it is said that this directly transmitted, straightforward Buddha Dharma is the unsurpassable of the unsurpassable. From the first time you meet a master without engaging in incense offering, bowing, chanting Buddha's name, repentance, or reading scriptures, you should just wholeheartedly sit and thus drop away body and mind. When even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal in the three actions by sitting upright in samadhi, the whole phenomenal world becomes the Buddha's seal and the entire sky turns into enlightenment. Because of this, all Buddha Tathagatas as the original source increase their dharma billets and renew their magnificence in the awakening of the way. Furthermore, all beings in the ten directions and the six realms, including the three lower realms, at once obtain pure body and mind, realize the state of great emancipation, and manifest the original face. At this time, all things realize correct awakening. Myriad objects partake of the Buddha body, and sitting upright under the Bodhi tree, you immediately leap beyond the boundary of awakening. 
At this moment, you turn the unsurpassably great Dharma wheel and expound the profound wisdom, ultimate and unconditioned, because such broad awakening resonates back to you and helps you inconceivably. You will in Zazen unmistakably drop away body and mind, cutting off the various defiled thoughts from the past and realize essential Buddha Dharma. Thus you will raise up Buddha activity at innumerable practice places of Buddha Tathagatas everywhere, cause everyone to have the opportunity of ongoing Buddhahood and vigorously uplift the ongoing Buddha Dharma because earth, grass, trees, walls, tiles, and pebbles all engage in Buddha activity. Those who receive the benefit of wind and water caused by them are inconceivably helped by the Buddha's guidance, splendid and unthinkable, and awaken intimately to themselves. Those who receive these water and fire benefits spread the Buddha's guidance based on original awakening. Because of this, all those who live with you and speak with you will obtain endless Buddha virtue and will unroll widely inside and outside of the entire universe the endless, unremitting, unthinkable, unnameable Buddha Dharma. All this, however, does not appear within perception because it is unconstructedness and stillness. It is immediate realization. If practice and realization were two things, a very person which each could be recognized separately, but what can be met with recognition is not realization itself because realization is not reached by a deluded mind. In stillness, mind and object merge in realization and go beyond enlightenment. Nevertheless, because you are in a state of self-fulfilling samadhi, without disturbing its quality or moving a particle, you extend the Buddha's great activity, the incomparably profound and subtle teaching, grass, trees, and lands, which are, by this teaching, Together radiate a great light and endlessly expound the inconceivable profound dharma. Grass, trees, and walls bring forth a teaching for all beings, common people as well as sages, and they in accord extend this dharma for the sake of grass, trees, and walls. Thus the realm of self-awakening and awakening others invariably holds the mark of realization with nothing lacking, and realization itself is manifested without ceasing for a moment. This being so, the zazen of even one person at one moment imperceptibly accords with all things and fully resonates through all time. Thus, in the past, future, and present of the limitless universe, this zazen carries on the Buddha's teaching endlessly. Each moment of zazen is literally a practice equally wholeness of realization. This is not only practice while sitting, is like a hammer striking emptiness before and after its exquisite peel permeates everywhere. How can it be limited to this moment? Hundreds of things all manifest original practice from the original face. It's impossible to no measure. Know that even if all Buddhas of the ten directions, as innumerable as the sands of the Ganges, exert their strength and with the Buddha's wisdom try to measure the merit of one person's zazen, they will not be able to fully comprehend it.
lives to hear the true Dharma. Upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith that upon meeting it we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. Although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way. May all Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May they share with us their compassion which fills the boundless universe through their enlightenment and teachings. Buddhas and ancestors of old were as we we in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors, revering Buddhas and ancestors. We are one Buddha and one ancestor, awakening Bodhi-mind. We are one Bodhi-mind because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit. We are able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. Therefore, the Chan Master Runya said, those who in past lives were not enlightened will now be enlightened in this life, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Before our Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. Enlightened person of today are exactly as those of old. Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions, as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors by revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha. We melt away the root of transgression by the power of our confession. This is the pure and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. Practicing here today in our many transitions, turning and being turned by the Dharma wheel. May we walk this bodhisattva path, hearing the cries of the world, meeting all beings, cultures, genders, and languages, all sacred lands, miraculous ecosystems, theaters of war and peace, the increasing crises of climate, in our completely inseparable wholeness and wildness, our one mistake after anotherness, our hungry ghostness, our confusion, delusion, and repentance. May we share our sympathetic joy and strengthen our commitment to justice, give solace to the disappointments, the sorrows and catastrophes of everyday life invoking the wisdom and boundless generosity of our ancestors, our spiritual friends and teachers, our neighbors and mysterious strangers, those angels who step for us on the side of the road offering kindness, assistance, and forgiveness. May we practice with no gaining idea, 
bring forward our gifts of compassion and courage to the chaos of the killing fields, the oceans boiling, the forests burning, to the fatal traffic stops, the classroom shootings, to the refugee crossings in leaky boats. May we practice the art of losing, losing our greed, anger, and stubborn ignorance, losing everything we love, everything always impermanent, gone, 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 beyond. May we align our great Sangha heart to one beat, writing our collective enlightenment poems in Buddha's luminous mirror. May we bow to the marrow of continuous practice, for this might just be the day, the day we finally awaken. And we dedicate